If food waste were a country, it would be the third largest emitter of CO2. So it's one of those things that we all have to tackle. I always say, you know, I think like consumers and businesses, B2B, B2C, we're all just people and we all just want to do the right thing. It's an age-old question. Can you do well by doing good? Welcome to the Grow for Good podcast, where we speak with leaders who strive to make a positive impact on the world. Here's the host of the Grow for Good podcast, Jed Morey. We produce enough food every year to feed every single person on the planet. And yet millions around the world go hungry or live in a state of food insecurity. So what happens to the food we produce that doesn't get consumed? It gets thrown away. Food production is one of the greatest marvels of our time, matched only by our propensity to waste what could otherwise be consumed. As you've heard in a past episode, companies like American Organic Energy are finding ways to harness the power of food waste and reduce the amount that we throw away in landfills every year. Today, we hear from a company that is attacking the problem from the other end of the system. Claire Oliverson is the U.S. head of marketing for a new app that connects restaurants, bakeries, and grocers with consumers to collect food before it's thrown away. The app is called Too Good To Go, and it's a sensation in Europe that has finally landed in the United States. Available today in Boston and New York, Claire's mission is to introduce the app to as many people in these cities as possible and to break into new markets around the country. While the premise is simple, the technology is first class, and the power of connecting people with something as basic and beautiful as food is elegant and necessary. As you'll hear in the episode, Claire is a brilliant digital marketing mind who had an already outstanding career combining food and media. But like so many others, she fell in love with the concept of too good to go, and made the leap to become the marketing lead in the U.S. We'll follow her journey and learn more about the incredible app that has some pretty ambitious goals. Goals that seem eminently achievable with people like Claire at the helm. Welcome back to the Grow for Good podcast. I'm Jed Morey, CEO of Morey Creative Studios, executive producer of Newsbeat, and the host of Grow for Good. This week, we delve once again into the sustainability journey surrounding food waste. Listeners may recall that we interviewed the CEO of American Organic Energy, a New York company building an anaerobic digester to help remove food waste from landfills and convert it into usable byproducts. This week, we're examining a company that is seeking to accomplish a similar objective, but way before leftover food enters the waste stream. And to help us on this journey, we're speaking with Claire Oliverson, the U.S. Head of Marketing for the revolutionary food app, Too Good to Go. Claire, thank you for coming on Grow for Good. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. So we're going to dig into your backstory a bit uh, before we go on our food waste journey here. But before we do that, can you just give our listeners an overview of Too Good to Go, the company's mission and kind of how the app works? Yeah, sure. Too Good to Go uh, was founded about four years ago. Um, So we're still a relatively kind of young tech for good company. And I'd say at the core of what we do, Um, We have an app that connects households, consumers to local businesses to pick up food that otherwise would have been thrown away. So, you know, if you think about sort of your local sushi restaurant, local pizza joint, at the end of the day, most of those folks actually have surplus. So, you know, a pizza you would have bought at four o'clock, all of a sudden it's, you know, eight o'clock and they need to throw away uh, whatever's left over. So we work with those guys one on one. 
to be able to actually go and pick up those meals in the quantities that typically make sense and a food bank actually can't uh, take advantage of. So it's a really interesting part of the market that actually can really impact climate change in a massive way. I always like to talk to our guests about how they arrived in this place to sit in this chair to do the cool things that you're doing. And when we dug into your backstory, you actually have a really cool, interesting backstory. Uh, Somebody that in our digital media world, we get you, uh, we see you, we get you. But it's interesting how you've sort of stayed in this industry and stayed in this lane, but brought your, your holistic mobile digital marketing experience to bear. So if I have it right, you actually started off kind of in the big media agency world and then moved to America's test kitchen in a senior marketing position. So you grew up in the marketing field, but you clearly have a passion for the food industry as well. Can you tell us a little bit about how your career set you up for a role as the head of marketing for Too Good To Go? Yeah, you know, it's such a good rundown. And I love that you totally do get me. Um, I, you know, I think for me, I, you know, came out of school, I really wanted to dive into the deep end. Um, And so I did go big agency side for quite a while, really focused mainly on digital because I love growing new things, uh, exploring territories that may not have, you know, really been tread before. So, you know, did that for a while, worked with some of the largest advertisers, really primarily on the creative side. And then I wanted to dive into the uh, more analytics data side, really understand you know, the technology, I think, behind uh, bidding platforms and, and the way advertising really works these days. After that, I, uh, I found America's Test Kitchen and you hit the nail on the head. I have such a passion for food and cooking. And honestly, I was sort of honored that they were looking for a role like mine and I was able to join a company like that. And so when I joined, they were really looking for someone to build out their social um, content, you know, SEO sort of side of the business. They have such a great traditional side uh, being, you know, top two and three uh, cooking programs in the U.S., a ton of, uh, you know, bestsellers every year um, on the on the recipe list. Um, and for me, it was really about how can I bring that growth digital mindset over to what they were doing? And so grew with them, really, really enjoyed that. But for me, to be totally honest, Throughout my course there, um, I personally became a vegan. I really care about the environment. I'm such an environmentalist at heart. And, you know, I really wanted to go out there and, and take on that next adventure in a way that I felt like had a massive climate impact. So, you know, when I first started talking to Too Good To Go, and they were looking to build out the U.S. operation, I just felt like, I couldn't believe that something like this existed. Um, And so I started messaging everyone and saying, I have to do this. And eventually they felt the same way and and brought me on as the head of marketing. So I'm going to come back to that vegan journey because now this also partially explains why uh, Sage was so enthusiastic and passionate because I think that you vegans find each other in the ether and the wilderness and and have a connection to one another, a strong bond. So that makes sense. But you mentioned that the company itself is actually not that old. And I think I read that it started in 2015 and then was supercharged with some financing and the addition of uh, CEO Metaluga in 2017. But since then, the company has received like, widespread acclaim from the media, from users, the investment community. What is it about this app? Because they weren't necessarily the first or the only trying to do something like this. And I know there's been mergers along the way, but What do you think it is about this company that people find so compelling? 
How has this company hit so many right notes from the start? Yeah, it's really interesting because I think it's actually such a combination um, of different elements. I will say the concept itself has never really taken off in mass. And I would say at the root of the concept, it's really about making sustainability accessible and being able to give everyone in the U.S., in the New York and Boston areas currently is where we operate, but you know, nationwide, hopefully quite soon, the ability to go out and actually every day pick up a surprise bag, you know, pick up one of those meals I mentioned and make a difference uh, and save that from going into landfills and you know, creating more CO2. I think it's one of those things that just makes sense right away. And it also creates a currency out of something that uh, is currently just being tossed. So I think there's that element of it where it's just, you know, we call it a a win-win-win. It's a win for the consumers, it's a win for the businesses, it's a win for the environment. And it just clicks. It makes sense. The other thing I I really have to say here, um, I think, you know, joining the team and building out our operation in the U.S. is it's very much a culture of activism. I think of mentality shifting and really being able to embrace new ways of working. And so there is sort of that fabulous, probably Scandinavian inspired culture (laughs) um, that I think does really resonate, uh, you know, not just in the US, but sort of across the globe of really being able to uh, listen to each other, trust each other and, and push the boundaries together in a way that where everyone feels respected. I, I love that you said that we actually have a client that's uh, was founded in Copenhagen and they they're so similar in that mindset, like always striving to do good and to do it really well and to do it really efficiently. Like we're so brash here and we're just so over the top with everything and they're so quiet and steadfast and deliberate. Like I love that cultural interplay that we have, but we're, we're, you know, we love working with that client. And it seems like this technology, the, the company that, that you're bringing to market in the U.S. is so primed and ready. And one of the things I, I found fascinating about the way that you've gone to market, both here and, and in the European market, is the organic marketing strategy and the smart use of social to build brand. And, and so many of the user-generated videos of real people like challenging themselves in cities across the world to eat only food that otherwise would be thrown away. I'm wondering, was that a deliberate strategy or was that a happy accident? And, and how much do you think that those really authentic testimonial-driven videos have contributed to the growth of the company? It's very interesting because I would say in the markets where we see maturity, the word of mouth engine of what we do is the most powerful marketing channel, if you want to call it that, or tool that we have. And I think it really does come back to that win-win-win I was discussing earlier, where it's just, it's a movement that folks want to be a part of. And it's actually so, it's interesting that we saw that so powerful that we actually created a movement side of our business after launching the app in some of our more mature markets, where we do get into, you know, regulation, um, we, I, I think we'll talk about this in a little bit. Uh, but you know, we work with schools. And it's, it's something that we really took upon ourselves to say, we're more than just an app, we are really trying to battle food waste as a holistic topic. 
And I think that the folks who do use our app and, you know, we call uh, them waste warriors who join our journey feel so passionately about it themselves that they want to be able to create more of an impact even than just, you know, picking up a meal every day. Hmm. Would you say that the, so when you mentioned that word of mouth, do you consider this type of social proof that this sort of, you know, I, I guess, listen, I'm old enough now where I watch how my kids purchase and how they learn about things and these different type of challenges that, that create brand awareness for things when they may, maybe don't even realize that that's, that's what it's all about. Do you consider the, the social proof and the videos and these challenges part of word of mouth in a way? Or is, it, is word of mouth in your world of still a very human connection one-to-one? Hey, what's that? Oh, this is a new app I downloaded. You should try it. And, and it expands like that slowly, but it compounds and, and wins over time. I would call it all word of mouth at the end of the day. Um, and that probably also does tie quite closely into my personal marketing background of you know being right. very digital heavy. Um, I think that there is the element of, you know, I go pick up a meal, I tell my neighbor about it. Um, you know, I go to a dinner party, everyone's excited about the thing I picked up and I brought using too good to go. And I would consider the, you know, the videos that are created and the the online uh, social media impact of those same actions. Uh, you know, I, instead of bringing the the surprise bag to a dinner party, I take a picture of it and I share it on social. That to me is absolutely the same type of word of mouth. The channel is just different. That's so powerful. You know, part of this equation that is obviously the restaurants and the and the food providers, the supermarkets, the providers that are participating on the other side of the app. Is that in your purview? Is that part of the, the go-to-market strategy acquiring new restaurants to come on, on the app? And I'm wondering, is it difficult to explain the value proposition to them or do they immediately get it as a new potential revenue channel or do they see it as sort of cannibalization? So in our business, we essentially have within the app, we call it a marketplace uh, because it really is a classic supply and demand you know, economic ecosystem. And so on the marketing side, my team really leads demand. So, you know, consumer interest um, and even I would say initial business interest. So we handle both B2B and B2C. Then on the supply side, we have a sales team, key accounts team, where they go out and they do talk to anywhere from uh, an independent, as we call, you know, one, one store in the area, all the way up to, you know, Whole Foods or Sweet Green or, you know, uh, even hotels um, and, and cafeterias. Mm-hmm. Um, and the interesting thing I have to say, uh, as we've seen this whole uh, ecosystem grow globally, is that there is just as much interest on the supply side as there is on the demand side. So for these folks who come on board, whether they're just a local bagel shop or something much bigger, to them, you know, it's such an interesting conversation because a lot of them, I've been out in the field, I've talked to a lot of these folks, I've you know, joined our teams. And some of those folks, when you approach them, they just go, oh my gosh, I've been throwing away all of this food and I'm yeah, so... they don't want to. Yes, and they don't yeah, want to. Bad. They yeah. want to have a solution and they want to do something better for the environment because we can all see that impact every day. You know, if food waste were a country, it would be the third largest emitter of CO2. Uh, So it's one of those things that we all have to tackle. We all have to make an impact. And at the end of the day, I always say, you know, I think like consumers and businesses, B2B, B2C, we're all just people and we all just want to do the right thing. 
And so I think that we, we do see at just as much interest on the business side as we do on consumer. You know, it's interesting. We, we I, I think we got a lot of that feedback as well when we did the episode on the anaerobic digester that's being built here. Now, that's something that's actually very common in Europe. Uh, so I don't think it would be a strange phenomenon to uh, your founders. But for us, it's difficult to pull off, especially in, a, in an area that is so densely populated as New York. But we we're talking about supply. And there was the realization that, you know, the, the restaurants, the hotels and the supermarkets in particular are very sensitive to this. They do not want to waste this amount of food. They don't want to see it. It's so big that they don't want to see it go into the landfills. On the restaurant side, it's actually a pain point for them to consider having to separate their waste. And it's going to be an expensive proposition for them. So it's even though they don't want to waste it, it's an economic hurdle for them. So that's where I see that this app comes in. I guess it, it takes that the the moral issue off their weight off their shoulders that they can participate in something like this. But it also solves an economic problem for them because a lot of these companies have to pay by pound, by tonnage for the carting. So the more you help them eliminate their food waste, I think there's an economic advantage on that side. And there seems to be an economic advantage by them potentially picking up new customers. Is that, is that a fair thing to say? Do you get that kind of feedback from them? Yeah, I think that is a really fair thing to say. Um, it's actually something we're looking into um, specifically in the U.S. is we hear anecdotally from a lot of our waste warriors that when they go out and they pick something up, they actually try a new place that they've never tried before. Hmm. Um, and so we're looking to start to quantify that and say, you know, on average, uh, how many places when you pick up are new to you. So I think there's that element of discovery. I think there's also the element of we don't talk about it as much, honestly, because we are so focused on uh, the planet and climate change. But there is a small bit of revenue that these folks do get from that what would have been food waste. And so rather than paying essentially for this to be taken away, they're actually getting a bit back um, and hopefully, you know, at least covering the cost of the food to begin with. So it's one of those things where you can see how this does scale really quickly and why it, it has taken off so massively is that it's, um, it really benefits them. And the way we do our surprise bags, we intentionally make it super easy for businesses to make it, you know, rather than throwing something in the trash, they just put it in the bag and then someone comes to and picks it up and, you know, it's off their hands. That's so great. It's so simple, but it's so great. I love it. Um, okay, so that's a, that's in a, a really small example of how it kind of works and the value proposition for both the consumer and the business. But the aim of the company is actually to reduce waste on a global scale. Like this is, and, and everybody, it seems at the company, everybody says it, everybody buys into it. This is a, this is serious mission-driven company. And to do this, the company, as I see it, I believe I was doing a dive on one of the pages that says you have four main areas or pillars, as you call them, to impact the world to help reduce food waste. So this is, these are pillars that are just beyond the, the app as we discussed it working. Can you walk us through these pillars of these households, businesses, schools, and, and public affairs? Yeah, of course. So we've talked a little bit about the marketplace and we, we call that our four or fifth pillar. The other four are really the way we think about um, how can we make an indirect impact in the countries where we operate? We are a B Corp at the end of the day. We are a mission driven company. And 
I think the app is one of our primary tools to be able to really reduce food waste. But there are other big pieces that I think we can use our voice and our expertise to change the needle on. So public affairs, for example, um, we have a team uh, based out of Brussels um, that actually does impact EU regulation. We're planning to do something similar here in the U.S. We work with schools on education. So, you know, we've found out that I think one of the best ways to really change food habits and food appreciation, you know, the more you appreciate it, the less likely you are to toss it and and throw it away. When you're younger, you're more open to these messages and more open to to changing those behaviors. So we have a team, um, you know, again, who works on that. And then, you know, with businesses, I think a fascinating uh, piece of this are one of our co-founders actually started out on the industrial side. Um, So, you know, we work with folks like Unilever and Nestle uh, to actually talk about how can we change the way that your, uh, your system works to reduce waste, and they're super open to it. So I, I think for us, that feels like a piece where, you know, if we make a 1% change, it actually has sort of like a, you know, a 90% impact. And then in just in terms of households, you know, it's all about education. And you see this on our social, you'll see this really everywhere uh, where we operate is even just, uh, you know, how can we cook differently? How can we shop differently, mm-hmm. plan differently? so that we can reduce uh, the amount that folks are throwing away. It's actually, the stats are, are actually quite crazy, um, even in terms of, you know, the, I think it's the average household American throws away uh, $1,800 worth of food every year. Let's say you even take that down to half. That's actually money people are saving as well. Oh, that's just incredible. We're going to take a quick break. And then when we come back, we're going to talk to Claire about the current state of affairs how coronavirus has changed the way we think about sustainability and some aggressive future state plans that Too Good To Go has on its roadmap. We'll be right back. Is your company looking to scale? Mori Creative Studios is a Diamond HubSpot partner agency that helps organizations leverage HubSpot's platform to achieve sustainable and predictable growth. From video production and inbound content marketing to sales and customer retention strategies, Mori Creative Studios provides comprehensive digital solutions for your company so you can grow for good. Visit moricreative.com to learn more. Welcome back to Grow for Good, where I'm joined today by Claire Oliverson, the head of marketing in the United States for the revolutionary anti-food waste app Too Good to Go. As the marketing lead, Claire, in the United States, can you describe how your approach might have to differ here than in a place like Europe that seems to be, let's just say, a little more predisposed to sustainability efforts on a consumer level? Yeah, of course. So it's sort of interesting, um, maybe a bit sad, uh, but I think this is also gives us a tremendous opportunity. Globally, one third of food is wasted. In the US, it's actually 40%. So if you think about it, you know, out of, let's say, every 10 lettuces that are grown here, only six actually get consumed. And Mm. so when you think about how much is actually wasted, I think you really have to tap into the American mentality of why is that? How do people feel about food waste? 
And I think also really find the folks who who want to make a difference. And I think so many of us these days uh, with sustainability and climate change across the board really feel like I'm just never doing enough. I mean, maybe I'm speaking from my own experience as well here, but I feel like it's, you know, I can use reusable bags. I can try and shop at farmer's markets, you know, but it's like, it's, it's never going to be enough. And so I think there are a lot of Americans who really want to make a difference. And I think it starts with education, honestly, more than anything else. Letting folks know even that 40% is wasted, I think is, is pretty mind blowing. Yeah. And so, I, I mean, my experience has been that, yes, there are so many people that are overwhelmed by it. They don't know where to start, but they're willing to start and, and giving them an app really might empower people here. So we might see more of a change from a consumer standpoint. The business side of it that you're describing is a little more frustrating. Four out of 10. I mean, that, that's, a, that's unbelievably wasteful. That's a, that is a systemic distribution problem that I don't know how much we can begin to affect unless we have education like that. So I, I see why, why you're saying that. But doesn't it also mean that somewhere along the line, there's an economic incentive for this, these producers, the manufacturers of it, to be more efficient? Like, how do we how can, how can that not be just so obvious? Once you get into the issue, it does feel really obvious, doesn't it? I mean, that's, that is sort of the funny thing. And that's why I say it's, it's a bit sad. But on the other hand, it also belies this you know, incredible opportunity uh, to change. And so when you think about, let's say, even just going back to the app, we already have over 80,000 registered consumers here in New York and Boston. And, oh, so, wow. and so if we can get, you know, even a certain percentage of those folks picking up a meal every day or, you know, once a week um, to feed their families, then that already starts to create an impact. Let's say then we start opening up more cities and we go nationwide. You can see a real change here and you can start to see how people's minds would shift. And then I think once you start to look at, okay, then how do we impact uh, policy and how do we impact regulation? How, you know, how do we start talking to schools? If we're able to, even on this massive scale, make 1% or 3% of a change against that 40% of food that's wasted every year, you know, you can think about future generations having a better planet um, to live in. And so it takes this really conceptual problem that feels kind of scary and out of our hands. And it gives, I think, everyone something accessible that they can do and actually eat some really, really good food in the process, honestly. <laughs> yeah, no, these videos are killing me because I'm, uh, I'm watching. So where I live, it's not fully adopted yet. But in New York City, you know, it's just not that far away. But I'm watching these videos of people going to these incredible bakery and, and like names I recognize. And I'm like, what? This is and they're unwrapping it and they're eating it and they're feeding their family. They're having parties. I'm like, man, it's not, it's not leftovers. Like, I think that's, you know, one of the things you have to get in your head. Like, it's, if you're listening to this podcast, you have to go look at the app. You have to look at the restaurants that are participating in this because it's giving you access. I mean, this is New York City and this is Boston, yeah. you know, in the States. I mean, we're talking about access to some really, really good food manufacturers. So anyway, you join the company, Claire, right smack in the middle of actually the beginning of the pandemic. 
So our agency represents about 50 different clients from various industries. And I've been struck by how hard it was to predict what the impact of COVID would be on each one. Every time I thought I saw clearly like, okay, so this is the obvious thing that's going to happen there. We should pivot and help them. It, it wound up being the opposite of that. It's feast or famine. There's companies that are doing extraordinarily well. There are companies that aren't going to make it through this crisis. And it's very hard to gauge who's going to wind up on which side of the ledger. So when I was prepping for this discussion, I was trying to think about how the virus would affect your efforts personally. So you're, you're in this go-to-market mode this heavy digital strategy, working with a very tangible product, even though you represent an app, you're representing a very, the most basic and beautiful product that we as humans interact with. And that's our food, right? I was trying to think about how coronavirus and, and, and how our, our reaction to it was going to affect your go-to-market strategy. And I really couldn't see it clearly. So now that I have you, what's it been like? What's changed? What's thrown you for a loop? What didn't you expect to have happen? What is there upside to this? And what's the downside? Yeah, it's such an interesting challenge, you know, and I think we're all going through it personally and professionally. For me with this journey, um, you know, I started talking to Too Good to Go back in January. And I actually then went to Copenhagen in late February back when we had no idea we were heading into How did you get back? (laughs) Yeah, you know, what's funny is I got back and I think it was just a couple days after that all of a sudden, you know, it wasn't just Northern Italy um, that was, you know, going to be in lockdown. It was was pretty much everywhere. Um, Mm -hmm. And I was actually living in Boston at the time. I just decided, okay, let's go into quarantine. Let's be super, super safe. And just like everyone else, you know, uh, kind of rode this out. And it wasn't until about June or July that actually the team came back and said, okay, you know, we know there's a lot going on right now, but let's put the team together and let's launch this. So um, we felt quite strongly that we wanted to have a New York headquarters. So, you know, even when it's hard to meet with people, let's be super, super um, safe, but let's meet in person. And so we were doing interviews like, you know, out on park benches and, uh, you know, doing team building events with everyone, you know, six feet apart, wearing masks. And it's actually been such a wild journey uh, because, you know, I personally moved down uh, to New York. I'm actually from this area originally. I think all of us feel so lucky to be a part of this movement. Um, And it gives us kind of a different feeling, I think, about working uh, at this company. And for me personally, you know, it's unlike any other company I've worked for in the sense that we feel like the clock is ticking and we don't have a lot of time and we do need to make an impact. And I think it brings people together in a way that uh, not not to pick on any other industry, but, you know, maybe selling insurance or, you know, banking might not. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I, I, it's, it's been, um, I think, actually such a pleasure. Uh, and I think one of the really big pieces there I will go back to and say is our culture, having a bunch of folks on board who feel so passionate. And I think really having that European influence of, not just business and personal time, but really being able to blend the two and say, who are you in your personal life? And bring that to work. Be a real person. Be your whole self. 
I think that helps us really have those tough conversations all the time about, okay, should we, you know, stop meeting in the office? Do we need to change our uh, COVID regulations? And just be really open with each other about how we feel. Procuring food just as a, as a household and a regular consumer has become an adventure in New York. It's become a challenge. And, and I imagine that you're actually meeting a new demand in a really creative way that might not have otherwise taken hold as fast prior to this. Today's an adventure. I'm going out into the wild to go get my food, my sustenance for the day, for the week, for my family. For I just, I just have this, this idea in my head that you came here at the right time, that we were ready for this, that we needed it. And it's so it's necessary on a whole other level because of the lockdowns that we experienced and because of the pandemic. I just I feel like you're hitting this at the right time because it's soul satisfying to participate with Too Good to Go. Soul satisfying. I'm helping myself. I'm helping the world. I'm helping my family. I'm feeding and and I'm helping that restaurant. I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm overthinking it, but I just feel like had you launched it another time, you probably would have done just fine. But man, I'm really happy that you launched here right now because New York could have used it. Yeah, you know, I so agree with you. And I think uh, a couple pieces that really come to mind for me is one is it's such a year of disruption. I mean, across the board, Mm. all of our lives are disrupted. When COVID first hit, we didn't really want to believe that it was going to be a a year of disruption. I don't think anyone thought 2020 was going to be what it is. But the reality is, it all pushed us outside of our comfort zones in many different ways. And so I think that in that regard, it forces everyone to have a bit more of an open mind about, you know, am I now going to go with the subscription service, whereas normally I would have gone in person? Um, You know, how am I, like you said, going to get my groceries every week? And then I would say on top of that, actually, unfortunately, it actually created a tremendous amount of food waste. So in some ways, there's Mm. been more food waste than ever as supply chains get disrupted. And as, you know, restaurants are really trying to figure out how much food to make, grocery stores are trying to figure out how much to order, and, you know, suppliers are trying to figure out how much to grow. And so, yeah, I, I actually agree with you that there's never been a time when this is more needed. Yeah, that's interesting. So I hadn't thought about it from the supply chain disruption side and how a lot of companies were going in fits and starts. Hmm. So we've interviewed some really smart and scrappy startups on Grow for Good and, uh, and, and some giants as well. Each one is doing something, I would say, really powerful, whether it's in a small way or it's in a massive way to make the world a better place. And at some point in our discussions, we talk about scalability. It's a really important concept for many people. Then again, for some others, it's not. One example I'll give you is uh, Mike Lavecchia from Grain Surfboards. He's not looking to be the biggest surfboard company in the world, but what he is looking to do is to be 100% sustainable in his practices because he's impacting his small part of the world. Whereas, you know, we're talk, we spoke with Bombas Socks and sky's the limit. They donate a pair of socks for every pair of socks sold, uh, and they give them to homeless shelters. And now they're moving into undergarments, and they might move into outerwear and T-shirts. And we talked about scalability, like where does it end? How big can it get? And I'm thinking about Too Good to Go and doing the research on you guys, and, and you have an enormous appetite for change, to change the world and to change your 
messaging and your strategies as you grow. I'm, I'm wondering, like, how big can you get realistically and what measurements are you going to go by to judge scalability and success? Like, how are you going to measure your growth and your impact beyond just users on the app? You're right. It's all about scalability. I, every day, you know, come to this job and I think about how can we implement a program now that once, you know, it's no longer 80,000 registered consumers, but it's 800,000 or 8 million. How can different features and programs that we create make a massive difference? Um, And so we actually uh, measure everything we do, not by revenue, even to our board, but by number of meals saved. And so those are specifically meals that would have gone in the trash, but instead were actually, you know, consumed, enjoyed. And like you said, a lot of this time, uh, a lot of the time this food is like, you know, incredibly beautiful as well, or, you know, a bit inspiring. Um, So hopefully it brings some joy to someone's life as well. But, uh, you know, we're really focused on every single day how much food um, it is saved. And so then when you start to add that up, all those incremental meals, um, you start to look at some of the larger goals out there, um, like, you know, some of the UN climate change goals. You know, we actually do measure ourselves ultimately against global uh, stats. And, you know, I kind of mentioned this earlier, but if we can take uh, the one third of food that's wasted globally and let's say change that into one fourth or, you know, I, I dare to say zero uh, because I'm not even sure if that's completely possible. But if we can make a difference in that number, then the, the impact is actually incredibly large. And, and that's how we actually measure ourselves. I, first of all, I love that. I think that's amazing. And it's the other part of loving this show and speaking to people that just see the world the impact and the results differently. And they measure, they tend to measure themselves by different standards. That's, that's very cool. But I'm also, you know, wondering, you know, and not to apply pressure to this point too much, but is there a fear within the company of trying to accomplish too much? Because if you just had, if you had the stated mission of being the best, most precise food connection app person needs, restaurant has, and you wanted to scale that out and you stayed firmly in that lane, do you think you would be as successful without the other global picture in the mirror all the time, like thinking about that global change? Is there a chance that you might actually go too broad, which will affect the core business? So I know that this gets into, into core business strategy, but a lot of people that listen to this show, they are entrepreneurs and they are thinking about making it a better world but you still have to master the business of your business. So is there a chance of losing focus by, by looking at too much or is it always going to make you better and more precise? So I have to say at the end of the day, I'm absolutely a business strategist at heart. Um, so mm-hmm. everything I do, you know, and my husband even makes fun of me for this of like, you know, we'll be out on a Sunday and I'm like, what's the ROI of us going over there and getting a coffee? You know, <laughs> <laughs> So I fully appreciate the question. Uh, first of all, I think for us, uh, it's really, it is really about focus. So I love this example, actually. I was talking to um, our CEO, Meta, uh, who you mentioned earlier uh, when I first joined, and she was talking about the idea that 
earlier in our growth, uh, we were talking more about waste overall. And so there would be questions internally of, you know, should we be saving Christmas trees, for example, you know, after the season? You know, should we be uh, saving clothing? There's so much out there that you can really tackle. Our area of focus is really food waste. And so when you bring it down, I mean, that's still so huge, but when you really bring it down to food in particular, and then I think especially with a focus on the marketplace, on the app, getting more you know, stores on board, getting more consumers on board, I do think that gives us enough of a very specific channel through which we can make an impact that I think we, we are able to then actually go into, you know, this hyper growth mode that we've, we've been enjoying for a number of years now and really just starting in the US. So, so no, I mean, I agree with you fundamentally, you don't want to go too broad, but I also think don't dream too small either. Oh, that's amazing. I love it. By the way, my head is spinning <laughs> when you mentioned what Meta said about the other avenues that you could go, because it's like, Right. There's a lot of stuff that's, quote, too good to go. And you could see how this could really broaden out. It's for anybody who has a, a small startup or they're thinking about getting into mission driven businesses. This is such an important point that this idea of just because you can doesn't mean you should. We wind up talking about that a lot with, with the people that come on the show, because when you come from a place of goodness and you begin to see the positive impact that you make, it's addictive. You look at that and you're like, holy cow, I did that. What more can I do? Just as addictive as it is to make a lot of money, when you make money and you pay your bills and you make the world a better place, that's the profile of the person that we talk to on the show and the profile of the listener of this show. And so you can see how easy it would be to get off track and want to do all of those other things. So the amount of discipline that it takes really is amazing. And I, and I, I applaud all the companies for that. And, and I'm going to switch gears to, as we close out the conversation for one second, to something you mentioned in the beginning of the show, which is being a B Corp. Being a B Corporation, we've interviewed a few of them, is it's a huge badge of honor that we know from some of the other conversations that we had, but it's a lot more complicated than most people think. Like it's a pretty rigorous designation to get and then to maintain. Can you talk a little bit about what it takes to maintain the B Corp status and kind of what it means to you? Was it important to you when you joined the company that it was a B Corp? Was there something fundamental about that in the world that is meaningful to other people? You just, in general terms, talk about the status of a B Corporation. Yeah, being a B Corp for us, I think, feels really important because it puts a name to the way that we operate. So, you know, internally, we have five uh, values that we really stick to. One of them is called We Care. And it's about how we, you know, take care of the folks that are, are part of our ecosystem and, and our waste warriors. But I think the B Corp status uh, puts you in a league of companies that unequivocally care about uh, social change, environmental change. And I think for us, we, we do sort of wear it as a badge of honor because people don't know all the time uh, how your company operates internally. And the fact, for example, that we always count everything based on meals saved, they could just see it and go, oh, you're, you know, you're trying to squeeze uh, essentially more uh, profit out of a market or 
you know, I think it's I think it's easy to always sort of be pessimistic or take an overly capitalistic view of a business. And I think for us, it feels really important to be right in that sweet spot where we are still for profit at the end of the day, but we are for profit so that we can make a difference. And I think this, uh, the really the B Corp trend, and I'd say uh, the more emphasis that's being put on that type of classification, to me, as you know, someone who you know is in the business world, but also as a consumer, it's really encouraging. And I think honestly, um, maybe this sounds overly cliche, but I do think the younger generations are going to care about that more and more and more. Even personally, over the last, let's say, 10 or 15 years, my consumer habits have changed significantly, where you know, if I don't see the companies that I'm buying even everyday products from doing something that is changing either their communities or the way that they source their goods, then quite frankly, it's not a company that I, I want to associate with as much. Um, I'll even you know, give an example of like everyday household items, uh, like you know, toilet paper and you know, feminine products. And you know, all of those companies are just changing, changing the way that they uh, think about operating. And it sounds so basic, but I think it's, it's, we realize how massive it is. Yeah. And with the B Corp designation, one thing, if there are entrepreneurs out there thinking about going after it, the one thing that we've recognized is that it does send a signal, but it's not virtue signaling because it's very hard to get. It is very hard to maintain. And there are a number of measures and standards that you must adhere to. So it's not for the faint of heart. And it's not something that can be necessarily performative. You can't just decide one day I'm a B Corp because I want people to think I'm doing good things. And that's why it sends a good signal. I imagine also for recruitment, you can't get a Claire Oliverson into your general field of awareness these days unless you have something that tells you authentically, I'm a good company, I'm doing good things, and I want you to align with us. So be mindful, grow for good listeners, that it's not easy to get, but it might be a great way to begin and it might be worth the challenge if you're doing some really good things in the market. So Claire, let's bring this right back to you as we close this out and your role at the company and the US. What are your goals for the United States and wh- how are you directing your team to continue growth in the market? So I would say my number one goal is new registered consumers. It's all about building that, that megaphone and being able to educate folks about this issue, bringing them on board with the mission, creating more waste warriors, and I think really creating a movement here. And so for me, I'm so focused on New York and Boston right now. Um, how can we really be a part of those local communities? I think for me, you know, I mentioned earlier, I'm from the New York area. I lived in Boston for a number of years. My husband's from there. And so I have so much heart, um, I think, for improving, you know, these communities and really being able to give something back. And then I think it's all about, you know, how do we continue to expand throughout the U.S. and, and be able to make a massive impact on that 40%. That's, that's the number that keeps me up at night. And I'm hoping that someday in the not so distant future, uh, we're talking about 35%, 30%, 20% of food being wasted as opposed to the massive number it is today. So before we leave, I have to ask you just on a personal level, because I did the exact same thing that you did. And I married a woman from Massachusetts uh, as a native New Yorker. And our big struggle in the beginning was our sports prenuptial. How are we going to divvy up 
our sports teams as we went forward. And I actually spoke, Sage, we spoke to Megan Desai about this as well, because she's a lifelong Patriots fan, somebody else that we recently interviewed who's wonderful. So I gave up my Jets to retain my Mets because they were very, very Patriot heavy family. How do you manage the, the sports conversation at home and just this Starbucks versus Dunkin' Donuts, you know, Mets versus, uh, you know, Red Sox. How do you manage that in your house? <laughs> so, so I have to say, first of all, uh, this might not be a huge shocker, but I'm, I'm not a huge sports fan. <laughs> okay. So you, you, I, you didn't know, care as much? Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, I've always been sort of more of the like, if I do a sport, I'll go skiing or do something that's a bit more independent. So my husband, I have to admit, has brought me over more to the Patriots side of the world. Um, I oh. never really watched football until, you know, I watched the Patriots. So, you know, that this might be a lightning rod. This interview <laughs> is over. Done. No, there, you know, my, my wife's family cares very much about sports and, and my wife cares very much about the Patriots. So I just, it was just, and it was a hard thing for me to give up, but it was a make sense thing. Um, just what, listen, you're very successful. You're very talented. This was a wonderful interview. You work for an amazing company. But if sports wasn't your thing, I'm just going to give you a little life advice before we leave. Whatever he's telling you about the Patriots, he's lying. They're cheaters. Hashtag they Deflategate. <laughs> Deflategate. Hashtag, that's it. So um, I have to say, this was wonderful. Thank you so much for, not just for your time, but thank you for bringing your talents to something so great. You know, we appreciate you from a whole different level being in uh, the digital marketing world that we are. And we know what it's like when somebody has a career path where they could have stayed in the agency world and they, they decide to go in-house, particularly to a place where you're making a difference. So appreciate you for that. And thank you for spending the time with us. Is there anything else that you would like our listeners to know? I think that's it. Thank you so much for having me. I mean, it's honestly such a pleasure. I actually love talking to people from digital marketing who totally get it and understand the journey. So it's a pleasure, um, you know, and, and anytime you want to chat, I'm always around. I appreciate that. And as always, we appreciate you tuning in. If you have any suggestions for a guest on the show, feel free to email us at growforgood@morecreative.com. And if you enjoy the show, just like us, rate us, review us, share us, do whatever you need to do to tell people to listen so that they can learn about incredible people like Claire Oliverson. Thanks again for the time today. Thank you. The Grow for Good podcast is produced and distributed by Mori Creative Studios, a Diamond HubSpot partner agency that helps organizations leverage HubSpot to achieve sustainable growth. Grow for Good is a registered trademark of Mori Creative Studios. This is a Mori Creative Studios podcast.